If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, and I am thrilled, friends, to have you here with me today. This week's episode is one of our periodic Ask Dolph Live sessions. For those of you who are new to the show, Ask Dolph Live is a unique opportunity for people to join me in a live Zoom session and ask any nonprofit-related question, whether it's about governance and boards, fundraising and marketing, staff management, or anything else related to the nonprofit world. Our Ask Dolph Live sessions have got you covered. And so we record these sessions, send them out for very light editing, and then bring them to you. Our guests in Astolf Live get 20 or 30 minutes of consulting, and you listeners also get to benefit from that advice. We'll dive deep today into two questions that are especially relevant in our current nonprofit landscape. The first question came from an executive director who's seeking ideas for onboarding new remote employees. And I am excited to bring on my consulting colleague and podcast producer, Lexi Linger, to help me answer just that question. Together, we explored the most effective ways to onboard remote employees and make them feel like they're a part of a team from day one. Whether your next hire will work remotely or in person, this episode will help you think about onboarding in a very different way. Our second question is from someone who's new to nonprofit consulting and was looking to find out how to build effective relationships with clients. This is such an important topic, and I can't wait to share my insights on how to establish trust, build rapport, and ultimately become a trusted advisor to your clients. This question is really, for me, though, about more than just building a strong relationship with a consulting client. You can use these tools on setting expectations up front and always seeking a good fit for relationships, whether you're talking about board members, partner organizations, staff, or others. 
I also have to share with you listeners that when our recording session ended, Lexi told me that this was her favorite Ask Dolph live recording session yet. And you know what? I have to agree. We covered some amazing ground, and I am excited for you to join us on this journey. So, my friends, get ready to take notes, because this episode is going to be a mini masterclass. Let's dive right in. Okay. Thank you so much for coming and asked off live. And I always want to start because again, we have had some questions sent to us, but does anyone currently inside the Zoom room have, have a question they want to ask? So Dolph, my main question to you is about creating long lasting and sustainable relationships with donors and sponsors. And, you know, I just wanted to hear if you have some suggestions, like maybe your top few suggestions for like really creating like a long-term relationship and like more of a partnership between the people that sustain nonprofits. Oh my gosh, that is such a great question. And Mara, before I answer the question, am I allowed to just briefly share how we know each other and the amazing, the amazing thing that you did? Sure. Okay. So Mara and I know each other because she was a volunteer at an organization where I was the interim executive director. And she agreed as a volunteer to solicit sponsors. And, and I'll share with you, Mara, by the way, we're going to get Mara on the podcast because Mara had never asked, I think I'm accurate when I say this, Mara, you'd never asked anyone to give money to a nonprofit before, right? I had done some minor canvassing um, and phone banking, but my phone banking was really more geared towards volunteer recruitment than donations. Back in my my younger teens and early 20s, um, I'd done canvassing, but not on the level of the sponsorships that we were doing for, for our Pride event. Yeah, and so the numbers are rusty in my head, but I want to say you brought in, by the way, more than any anyone had ever brought in before in sponsors, I think like 170 something thousand dollars in sponsors, right? It was about 225000 in cash sponsorships. And then about, I think the total within value in kind um, was 235500 So very, very pleased with that number. And Lexi just put in the chat, that is amazing. And some say the numbers weren't rusty in my head, they were wrong. And, and I know at the time when, when you were really starting to knock at home, I was like, Mara, you know, th- this is incredible. And you're, you're a testament about what volunteers can do. Because so often we hear volunteers that will say to us, oh, I can't raise money. I don't know how to ask for money. And literally like, with just a very little bit, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of coaching and training, you were off and running and you were asking for money. And, and you raised more money and sponsorships than the organization had ever seen before. And so, um, so I, I want to start there because I, I do think like, Obviously, the first thing is, is how do you get the relationship? And you went out and you asked, and that's how you get it. I, I do think in terms of like how to build those strong relationships, I think there's multiple pieces. The first, and, and Mara, you were really strategic about this. So I, I know early on, you came to me as the interim and you were like, Dolph, we've promised things to these sponsors and I want to make sure every sponsor gets everything that we promised. So you actually, separate from what the organization kept, you kept a little checklist. You were like, Dolph, we promised the sponsor a picture at their office. We need to make it happen. And so the first thing is, you know, and again, you've got that piece down, you know, first deliver on what you promise. But then the second is, you know, when, when especially corporate sponsors, but this is true for individual donors too, but you know, when corporate sponsors only hear from us when we want money. So like if it's an annual event 
and the event happens and they get a thank you note from us and we're like, oh, that was great. And then suddenly, you know, they don't hear from us for six to eight months. And then we come back, oh, our event's coming up, will you sponsor? That's when they start to feel like, well, maybe this is not really a relationship in the same way that maybe I don't have a relationship with my ATM. You know, like you're, you're coming to me because you, you, you want the sponsorship again. And so that's also where I think just trying to pencil in check-in times, like, hey, how's it going? Is there anything you need from us? You all are an LGBTQ plus group. And so a lot of companies have an employee resource group or a business resource group for, for their queer employees. And so to even say, hey, you know, would you like us to come and present at a ERG or a BRG meeting? Would you like some information about ways corporations can volunteer with us? There, there's multiple ways that, you know, over the course of a year, you could have multiple touch points. So, you know, I don't think you do it all at once, but it is, hey, you know, can we come in and present to an ERG or a group of staff? You know, and then a few months later, hey, we've got some volunteer opportunities coming up. We'd love to have you all. And of course, you know, we're going to bang it up on social media when you come in and volunteer. And so, so that way, then you're, you're building that relationship. And then when you come, they don't to ask for money. They don't feel like an ATM. They're like, oh, yeah, we've built a strong relationship. And those are often the corporate sponsors that end up serving on your board, getting involved in your events, et cetera, and are, you know, really the ones who are likely to give even more next year. Right. Thank you. Yeah, that's very helpful. But again, more I have to say, I mean, like you are an example and a testament to all volunteers, because you were not even on the board, to all board members or volunteers that are like, oh, I've never fundraised before. I don't know if I could do this. It, with just a little bit, there's so much you can do. Thank you, Mara. Hey, Dolph, can Absolutely. I ask a follow-up question? Of course. So you mentioned you all just did like a 35, 40-minute training. Do you remember the key topics you hit in that training? Oh, you're giving me a face. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I mean, so I, I probably look at Mara and ask her if she remembers. I, I remember a few things. I, I remember we talked about the hard part being the ask and giving that like, the appropriate like build up and the appropriate like pause after the ask and and then you know kind of the follow up after that just developing like a conversation flow like we had an outline for how like the conversation and the meetings would go that you know i i had just made like a little flow sheet for myself after we talked about kind of the order of things and like, you know, just kind of how to lead into it because it's not something that you want to just immediately get right down to business, but it is the bulk of what you're, you know, meeting about. So it's the most important part. And I remember you said to ask and to say, you know, well, we really need you to come in at the $5,000 level this year. That, that would be, you know, so wonderful for us if you were able to do that again or you know, do that for the first time. And then just to pause for like 10 seconds to just like let them respond and to not feel the need to like fill that void to just like let that be there in a minute and like, and give them the time to like respond to that. So that was super helpful, I think. Yeah, and, and really I've always found that pause. I know it feels long, but it's such power for pause. I think we also like, I think there was a slide deck. And so we did a little role play where someone was, was the prospective sponsor and you walked them through it. And I think even you, in that, there were a couple hard questions. So that way you'd get used to, oh yeah, they might have a hard question or two. Yeah, and that, and you know, I mean, our, our situation was unique. We did have some kind of image problems that we were, we were fixing and, um, you know, continuity with staff and board. I mean, there was a lot of changeover 
with staffing and board members and everything around that time. So there had not been the follow through with with what everything you were saying about, you know, making sure that, you know, everything that was promised happens and making sure everyone's thanked properly from the previous year, you know, having those touch points throughout that time. So that really had not happened in our case um, because of all of this, the staffing and board changeover. So like that was one of the things that we definitely like kind of addressed in the training was what if somebody is, is upset? And also the other thing is that we were coming out of the pandemic and the event had not been live for two years at that point. It had been com canceled completely in uh, 2020 and then it was virtual in a much smaller scale event in 2021. So in 2022, coming back to the live event, that was a hurdle that we got past with some people that, you know, they didn't feel the impact of their sponsorship in the in the previous year with the virtual event and and that scale and so getting them back on board for the live event and all the effort that we were putting in to you know to make sure when we came back it was stronger than ever Maura, i'm so glad you said that and i think that's one of the other pieces is especially if you're coming in as a new volunteer or new staff member it's so easy like if a sponsor was not happy about something to to empathize and go i am so sorry that you did not, you should not have been treated that way and you did not deserve to be treated that way. And we're going to make sure that that it's right from this point forward. And it's really easy if, you know, if if you were not the one that maybe dropped the ball in the past. But then, of course, our trick is to make sure we carry the ball all the way and, and get it to the next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that was that was an important part of it, too, because you being the interim at that point, you know, you were also new to the situation and finding out some of this feedback after that theme had come up in a couple of our first meetings, you know, you and I sat down and talked about, well, what if we do this? What if we offer this as kind of our way to make up for like, you know, the feeling that everything, all the benefits weren't received in the past? Like, what if we do a little extra this year? That's when we kind of came up with the idea of doing like the pictures and, you know, the, you did, you did a blog article interview and, and those types of things to just give people a little extra exposure and marketing to kind of make up for the past, even though you and I hadn't been involved with the, you know, with the organization at that point when those things were happening, but it was like hearing that feedback and like immediately we, we tried to figure out a way to address it so that you know, that question, I mean, we were kind of ahead of it at that point. Like we didn't, we didn't let it get to that question ever again. Uh, we didn't, we didn't have that awkward moment after that because we said, well, this is what we're doing to make up for, you know, what's happened the past couple of years during the pandemic. Well, one of the other things I think that we did really well was like, as an organization, if a, if a sponsor felt like maybe, you know, they didn't get a hundred percent, maybe they only got 90%, we didn't argue with them about the other 10%. You know, like, you know, we were more about, okay, we're going to, we're going to spare the relationship and, and not, not haggle over that 10%. Mari, it's so good to see you. Um, and again, you're an amazing, amazing, amazing sponsorship solicitor. Um, I, I wish I could clone you and, 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 and share one of you with every nonprofit that does an event. Oh, thank you. A any other questions in the Zoom room before we go to some that were sent in advance? So I, I do. Um, and if this is not in your purview, you'll you'll let me know. I am leading a small nonprofit, only employee, 
We've gotten grant funds so I can do some hiring. We don't have office space, so I'll be doing some hiring and onboarding of folks virtually. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for two things. One, for plan to onboard people virtually. Uh, and two, for the right messaging, these positions are grant funded. The grant goes to a certain period of time. I have to spend the money by a certain period of time. And I don't have that grant's not going to be renewed. Like I need to tell them when I am hiring them, this job is until the end of 2024 and, and that's it. And I want to make sure I message that well. So those are the two questions on boarding remotely and and the best way to develop um, and send out that message. Th- those are two great questions. I'm actually going to start with the first one. Honestly, in posting the position, I'd be really clear about that. That, you know, that this position is funded until the end of 2024 and that the position will likely be eliminated at that point. And the reason I'd be upfront about that, and let me also say, if there's any likelihood that you might get additional grant funding for something else and and the person might have a job, just not that position, try to put that in the posting too. But, you know, but to really be upfront about the time limitations on, on the funding, so that way you don't find the perfect candidate. And then, of course, before they accept, you have to, to disclose to them the position's going to go away in less than 24 months. And then you find yourself in the position of you have the ideal candidate who just turned you down. And, of course, everyone else looks like chopped to liver. When your top candidate turns you down, everyone else, you're like, oh, no one will compare to this person ever. And, and so, honestly, I, I, w- I would start there. But then, but then also as part of onboarding, I would make sure the person, again, was kind of reminded of that. In, in reviews, et cetera, I would make sure that the person understood what we were doing to help them either find work um, at the end of that period of time or what we were doing so they would have a job. And, and the only other thing that if I were you, I would do is I would go to the funder and see if you could use some piece of the money or if they'd provide you with additional funding for some off-boarding assistance, whether that's job placement, resume assistance, job search coach, whatever. But I think that also makes that position a little more appealing, knowing that you, when you start the position, it will end with assistance and finding work. Do you have any sense of how much um, offboarding assistance, how much should I budget for that? Part of it, I think, probably depends on, on what these positions pay. But as part of that, I, I would also think about, again, asking the funder to fund an actual severance package, where if they're there until the final day of, of the program, they get... X number of weeks or potentially even a month or two of severance. And, and that way you won't have staff members that are leaving one, two, three months before your grant ends and no one to finish doing the work of the grant for you. Um, and so I actually think you can make a business case for that. You know, if we don't incentivize people to stay, then they need to look out for themselves. They need to take care of themselves and pay their rent and eat. And that means they're going to leave a couple months early when, when they have that opportunity. So I, I think at a minimum, it's some severance. But then I would think, honestly, I'd try to make it generous. I would probably try to think about at least $5,000 in job coaching or job search coaching, tuition assistance, something so that they can be, while they're working for you, building the skills necessary to get great work at the end of this project. Helpful. Thank you. Of, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And for the second part of the question, I'm going to ask Lexi to join in. And Lexi, I, I know that you knew I was going to do this because when I heard that question, I'm like, oh, oh. so at successful nonprofits, we are 100% remote. When I'm not on the road, I'm actually on the West Coast right now. I live, I live in Georgia. I work from an office in our home. And um, when Lexi's not on the road, 
she she works from an office in her home and and, and we're both w2 employees of the consulting practice so you know you know so so for people that don't know there's 1099 contractors there's w2 employees we're both w2 employees of the of the, of the consulting practice so lexi had a remote onboarding not only that but at the start of covid um and so lexi and i worked together for a full year before we ever met in person and when we did meet in person it was in a parking lot and it was dark and I will always remember like both Lexi and I kind of had this moment where we're like, it feels like we've met in person many times. We can't believe this is the first time we've met. But so Lexi, I'm going to throw this over to you in terms of the remote onboarding. What were some of the things that were really helpful? So I I took a moment because I smiled when she asked that question too. And I've come up with four things. So the first one that was really great was Dolph was ready for me. So on my first day, he had uh, the you know, my computer was here. He he mailed me my computer. Um, all my passwords were ready for me and in a Word document so I could access things. He had clear directions for, you know, here's the email account we're going to use. You need to get signed up. Here's, what is it, the two-way factor authenticating. Did I say that in the right or two-factor authentication? Yeah, like we use, you need to sign up for it. Here's the office line, you know, app that we use on our phone. You need to sign up for it. And so, he was ready for me. So on my first day, I actually did something. I didn't just sit around and twiddle my thumbs and, you know, quote unquote, pretend to be working. He also, in terms of my onboarding and training, had a really clear plan. And I describe it as stepping stones, you know, because we weren't in an office together for me to come ask questions or anything. Like he bit off small chunks one at a time and was like, okay, today we're going to work on this part of producing the podcast. We're going to talk about just, for example, um, transcriptions. We were doing transcriptions at the time. And he also made videos of him doing that. So he didn't even have to provide me the training. But, you know, on transcription day, he had the video ready. He talked to me through the process. Um, The video was really great because it let me, one, kind of feel like I was getting to know Dolph without Dolph having to actually stop his work day and come hang out with me for a couple hours. But also watching him go through that, he hit a lot of the road bumps that I would later hit, whether it was like trying to figure out a technology issue or, you know, a values and or a link, you know, language and how do we want to word this? Um, he hit all of that. So I got to see that. And I could go back and rewatch the process if I needed to. So that so having that clear plan leads me to the the third point, which is Use your technology. Can I jump in real quick on those videos? Mm-hmm. And and I think Lexi will agree. I did not overthink these videos. These were not well-polished videos. These literally were me going like, okay, I'm going to do this for 20 minutes at my computer. And I'm just going to take a screen recording and an audio recording at the same time. So you would hear ums, you would hear us. I, like I might get a phone call and, you know, like I'd be like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a video. I, I can't talk right now and hang up the phone. But I mean, literally, so like, so, so these were not polished, you know, professional videos. I don't have the skills to make professional training videos. No, it, it was it was literally Dolph doing the task I needed to be doing. And, and I was listening to him go, wait a second, that's not right. I've done something wrong. Let me go back and figure out how to do this properly. Like, it, it, But again, that was really helpful for me to watch. So using technology, for us, the videos have worked well. Other folks have liked PowerPoint or have other types of technology that they have found more useful or prefer to use. Um, but think about what technology you have to help with the training, uh, both, again, to make sure that you have the training materials you need. Um, but again, because it's virtual, 
it's also, I think, was helpful, Dolph, I'm going to guess for you, that again, Dolph didn't have to clear his schedule to onboard me. I had my training videos. He could be doing what he needed to be doing while I was also being onboarded. So it was just very efficient that way. And then the the last thing that I think was really valuable is that we every week, had, well, I think the first few days we met almost daily, even if it was just for a couple minutes. But after that, we met every week. And I've been with successful nonprofits almost three years now, and we still meet every week. And I think being virtual, that's just so important. And we really take time to also talk to each other. So it's not just we have sometimes a crazy week, but you know, most of our meetings are not just to, straight to business. We spend a lot of time talking about life, you know, what's going on at home, vacation plans, things we read in the news, books we recently read, things like that. And so we are we have that opportunity to build that relationship and that foundation that we really need to be able to work well together moving forward as well. So those are my four things, Dolph. What else do you have? A couple of things that I think about, and, and I might be off base on this, but I don't think I am. For the most part, like Lexi's first week or two, I viewed her productive work as learning the job. And so it's not like on day one, I was like, okay, you know, you know, you need to uh, reach out to these three podcast guests and, you know, and okay, we have a strategic planning committee meeting and, you know, I'm expecting you're going to put together these three slides and you're going to present those three slides with the client. Like, like I kind of viewed the productive work as learning the job. And if, and if that's all the person focuses on, but learns the job during that period of time that check, you know, like, yes, you know, we've, you know, we've hit the productivity mark that we were trying to hit. Cause I think so often we'll have a new employee start. And, and I think this is even frankly worse when it's in person, you know, so we'll have a new employee start and we'll actually only plan about on their very first day, a couple of hours of onboarding. And then we'll say to them, Hey, you know, sit here and read these binders, the stuff and try not to fall asleep. This is your first test. Don't fall asleep while we give you 180 pages to read after lunch. And, and most people pass that test. But, but right after that, then there's this expectation, okay, if you're a case manager, you're going to be seeing clients. If you're a grant writer, you're going to start working on your first grant proposal or creating your grant calendar. And yet, you know, they still don't understand the processes and procedures of the organization. And so, so that's where I really think thinking through the curriculum, well, what does the person need to learn in, about the organization and about their job in that first week to two weeks, and then creating it in such a way that they can do it independently and at their own pace, but it's not just the entire thing is I'm sitting here and and reading a manual. The other thing that I think I think went really well with Lexi's onboarding, and it's something I'm trying to duplicate when I'm when I'm doing interim work. There was a show and then a do, and so and so for example, you know, like like Lexi had mentioned um, transcriptions, and so I maybe I created a video, um, you know, a couple of days before we got to that point. So I'd say, okay, Lexi, you know, will you watch the video and then try to you know do a transcription on your own. And then let's talk about it at the end of the day. And, and, and so that way she saw it, she did it, we talked about it. She could always go back and look at the video again if she wanted to, but, but the, you know, then she might do another one. But for me, the point was not doing the work of the transcription. For me, the point was understanding how we do the transcription and what we do and how we do it and why. Um, and, if, and if she understood that, whether or not even a single thing got done didn't matter. Is that helpful? Do you have follow-up questions? Um, no, that is helpful. Thank you. Awesome. Dolph, we did have a follow-up question in the chat. Is there a difference in how to approach onboarding for W-2 employees versus independent contractors? Ah, oh, that is such a good question. And yes, there is. 
And the reason is a 1099 contractor is not an employee and we don't want to treat them like one. And, and so with an employee, we can be very clear. This is how we want you to do this project. Um, you know, these are the steps you're going to take, et cetera, et cetera. With a contractor, like, you know, in order for them to, and let me also say, I, 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 I don't do legal advice, but how I view contractors is that in order for us to, for them to actually be a contractor and not an employee, we can't lay out for them how they're going to do their work. You know, we can't provide them with a computer. We can't say you have to do it. You have, you know, first you have to do A and then B and then C and then D. If their process is they want to do D first and then go back and do A, that's their right. So honestly, my expectation of a contractor is they're able to come in and really do the work itself and they're not going to need onboarding. They might need some information about the organization, but they're not going to need onboarding and how to do the work itself. Right. I guess that's really more my question is kind of how, um, how do you make sure that that person has all of the information that they need to uh, execute the contract? Because, I mean, obviously, most contractors are not going to have all of the background information about the organization. And like, how do you get them up to speed on all of the happenings in the recent year of, of you know, doing business as the nonprofit, the events, the programs, like what, what types of tools and, you know, organizational tools do you use to kind of pass that information to someone like that? And, and so ultimately that's not the nonprofit's responsibility. Lexi and I, we do this whenever we start a new engagement. Ultimately it's the contractor's responsibility to say to the organization, um, and this is actually typically how we'll do it now. So, so for example, when we do strategic planning, what we, you know, we'll say to the client, before the first strategic planning workgroup meeting, we need the following documents from you. And if we don't get those documents, we can't prep all of the meetings that we're going to prep ahead of time. And so we can't have the meeting on that date and we're going to push everything back. And, and so ultimately, it's the, it's the outside contractor or consulting practice's responsibility to say, this is what we need. And if we don't get it, we can't do the job. So you're yeah, so saying like prior to even signing the contract, the contractor needs to kind of be like, this is what I need to do the job and we can't even start until this happens. Well, and, and so that's a fair question. So, so we'll normally sign a consulting agreement with the client, but the consulting agreement makes very clear that what information we need or that we will provide an information list. And that if we can, if we don't get that information, we can't do the engagement. And Lexi, I know you were going to jump in. Yeah, before we even sit down with our initial meeting, we also usually do some pretty extensive research. So um, looking a lot on websites in particular, we'll also pull 990s and take a look at 990s. Um, so we have a good background walking into even that first conversation on who this organization is. And then as Dolph mentioned, we put together a list and it's different for each group. Um, you know, the the type of engagement, we might need something different for strategic plan versus board recruitment. Um, and, and we might also be different just depending on the organization itself and what we learn in our preliminary research. But then we put together that list of the rest of the information that we need. Um, and sometimes also sit down and actually we'll interview and have conversations with key people to get background information as well. And so, and that way we can piece together the story ourselves. And I will say, I mean, sometimes, sometimes we have to go to the client, for example, if, and again, we'll normally write this into the contract. For example, if, 
access to specific individuals, maybe it's board members or specific staff members or whatever, will often write into the contract that access to those individuals, um, that our ability to do the work is contingent on that. And so there've been some times that, for example, we'll have to go to the client and say, you know, these, these individuals have not been accessible to us and we can't continue until we get access. And, and when, when we're able to have those conversations or those interviews, we'll move forward again. But until then, we're just going to pause the project. It doesn't happen that often, but every now and then we do find we need to do that. And, but, but, but the, the crux of that point is, you know, we, from an employment versus contractor perspective, when you're an employee, it's your employer's responsibility to make sure they give you everything you need in order to do the job. And when we're a contractor or, or a consulting practice, it's our responsibility to make sure that our client gives us everything we need in order to do the job and to be honest with our client when we don't have what we need. Yeah, um, I just, uh, I guess I would like to try to do some independent contracting with specifically like the the types of fundraising activities that, you know, you and I did together that I had, you know, some success with. This is not my background, but um, it's something that I have a lot of, you know, drive and passion for. But, um, you know, I definitely feel like I would like to have the tools to be able to ask for exactly what I need. And I, I feel like I am very communicative and very like, you know, clear about those things. But getting getting that kind of list together of those documents is is a really wonderful idea for me um, to kind of be able to just say, you know, these are the things that I need. These are the people that I'll need access to and like make that very, very clear up front so that there's just not a lot of uh, a kind of like downtime because you know, I had an experience recently where I just felt like I was asking for the information that I needed, but I wasn't getting it. And there was just a lot of like time that was going by where I felt like, well, I can't really move forward without this because I mean, th this is like very key to like my first step in the process. And it's like, you know, so, I mean, I was just kind of trying to do the best I could with the information that I had while waiting to kind of get these other key pieces, but it would have been so much more productive if I had gone in right from the beginning and had a very organized list of the documents and the information that I needed to just begin. You can ask somebody for information like every few weeks, but if there's not a lot of follow through, it's like, what do I do now? Um, you know, and, and I guess, I mean, you did really address my question and I do think that's a very helpful um, tool for me to kind of create that for myself. And now, you know, kind of, I've done a lot of analyzing of the process that, you know, I, I, I went through to get the results that I did when we worked on that, you know, fundraising campaign together. So I, I know what I'd like my process to be, and I do know the information that I would need now. Um, so, so I guess I just need to really put that into, into writing and make sure that it is, is clearly expressed at the very start of the, the contract. Yeah. You know, and, and much in the same way, like the person who said, uh, who asked the question about, Oh, I have a job that I know is going to go away at the end of 2024. And I said, oh, well, we'll put that in the job posting. I, I think when when you're talking to a prospective client to say, here's the information I'm going to need. And if I can't get it, I won't be able to do the work for you. And this is where at one point all consulting practices were new. And so this was not the case back in 
2015 when successful nonprofits got started. But, you know, n- now we're an established consulting practice. And so we always have multiple projects going on. So if one client's not quite ready to move forward, we never have an issue saying, okay, well, we got plenty of other work we can do. And so we're going to work on the, all these other projects. And when you're ready to move forward, you let us know. Like for us, that, that's never that hard. And all we have to then do is just check in once a week and once every couple of weeks, hey, are you ready to move forward? Um, that's all we have to do. So, so, I, so I also get, again, I mean, like, you know, all, all oak trees start out as acorns and, and I get that, but it will reach the point where, you know, you'll have multiple projects going on and you'll be able to say to a client, well, I'm going to go work on other projects. And when you're ready, you let me know. Gotcha. Lexi, I can't believe two questions with some follows and we're out of time. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. We had great questions today. That's a wrap for this session of Ask Dolph Live on the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. Before I sign off, though, I just want to remind you, friends, that your feedback is crucial to the success of this podcast. So if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. And also know that I welcome your feedback. You can always email me at Dolph at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Or you can go to our website and you can enter a message there. Your feedback helps us reach more people, but it also helps us improve the show and make it even better for our most important stakeholder, and that's you. Also, be sure to check out our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources and tools to help you on your nonprofit journey. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of our community. I always remember that we're in this together, and together we can make the world a better place. And finally, my friends, I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And just a quick reminder, I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldemer Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for, wait for it, wait for it, tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that is what you need, please, please find a qualified, licensed professional in your area and get the counsel that you need.